Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs, and today we get to have a private equity investor legend with us, Alan Patrickoff, and he has quite a background. He's got into private equity in the 1960s, starting Patrickoff and Company, uh, which later turned into Apex Partners, which ended up being one of the largest funds ever. And in 2006, Alan decided to switch gears when he started Graycroft Partners um, to get even into more early stage investing. So Alan has uh, quite a rich background. We could spend hours talking, but we don't have hours. So uh, let's get rolling. Alan, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Definitely. And so, uh, you know, before before we started uh, Patrickoff and Company, you know, what what were what were you up to before we got into? Uh, uh, I had been in the investment business since nineteen. When I came out of uh, college. In 1955, uh, but then I was in the army twice. After that, I called back in uh, from the reserves, and I also went to business school at Columbia. Uh, so I was in and out of the uh, investment counseling world, and then uh, I ran a, a family, not my own. I ran their money as the number two person for about six or seven years, and uh, and uh, that's where I got the idea of starting up. Venture capital because uh, I recognized that every family I knew uh, that was very wealthy had people running their public portfolio, but every once in a while they would buy a private deal and they had no idea what they were doing because <laughs> someone would call them and just tell them to invest and it would go into a file drawer because people had file drawers at that time. Everything was hard copy. And uh, I said to myself, there's an opportunity to manage that private investments for any private family and with a central office. And I had done myself several uh, private investments for on behalf of the family I managed. Uh, and so I understood the thinking and uh, how they operated. So I set up my firm, Alan Patrick Office Associates, in 1970 that uh, was the focus was uh, managing the private portfolios in, in private deals for high high net worth families, so that's how I got the business. Gotcha. And uh, so, what was one what was one of the first deals you did? Um, you with Patrickoff and company, or even before that? Uh, no, it was called Alan. It was called Alan Patrickoff Associates. Uh, uh, the uh, first deal I did, believe it or not, remember it was a different world then. Yeah. Venture capital existed. Was a uh, uh, the um, was uh, in the secondary lead smelting business. Huh. And uh, I invested in a uh, company that was a small scrap operation in New Jersey. And the only reason I tell you the story is over the years, that company became the largest secondary smelter in the world. Uh, I had sold out by then with plants uh, in uh, six countries uh, and uh, uh, was doing Two, the last time I looked was doing two or three billion dollars as a private company. In the interim, it went public and then and then went private. And uh, so, you know, from little acorns grow. Uh, it was a very small company and uh, was a very entrepreneurial guy. So I obviously picked the right guy uh, to back. 
uh, and I was with him for many years, but not till the end. Uh, uh, I I left long before that. Gotcha. Uh, and this, the second deal we deal was an animal feed supplement company, uh, uh, which uh, did not turn out so well. The third company was in the plated wire field, which was a technology that was replaced by semiconductors. And uh, uh, and then we also invested in the predecessor of the Internet. We're in, in 1972, we went to a company called uh, uh, Network Analysis, which at that day, uh, the Internet was really based on technology that came out of DARPA, and it was called uh, 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 packet switching. And we backed the first packet switching company. So that's how we started. It was, a, I would say, an agglomeration of companies from different areas, technology, non-technology, uh, wherever the opportunities developed. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because So after those first few investments, did you – um, did you kind of like the variety or did you want to say, hey, let's have a little bit more focused? I mean, one of them is very um, acid heavy, you know, and then other ones are a little less. I don't think the opportunity for us to be in focus came until uh, the mid to late 70s. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we went into a whole bunch of different companies. And I know I do know that in 79 we invested in Apple. 1980 or 81, we invested in America Online, the predecessor company, which was called Quantum Computer, and uh, uh, we had uh, we had uh, you know at that time we're getting more into more technology, we're into merge okay. companies and uh, uh, you know uh, semiconductor packaging. So we, we we were in a myriad of different areas, but much more oriented toward technology. And by that time, I opened up an office in Palo Alto. Okay. So how how early did you get into Apple? 1979. It was it was the second round. Wow. Wow. Okay. And, uh, and don't, I, I, I no longer order. I can assure you, we <laughs> it went public went public in the early 80s, and we were out uh, sold it out a year or two later. Okay. Well. Well, that was probably good since they didn't do too well in the '90s. Eventually, but now they're doing okay. But um, so, at that point, did you get more into technology? Or were you still? Because I, I thought, I mean, that's fairly that's venture capital. Were you still doing more traditional private equity, um, larger deals at that point too? No, we hadn't started doing private equity until our fund was getting bigger and bigger uh, in the late '80s, and in the '90s, we got much bigger. And uh, we gradually, we, I had by that time opened up in Europe with offices in London, Paris, Munich, uh, Madrid, and and there that pull of the European markets was more and more towards later stage investing, and uh, uh, so that's the story. Uh, and and uh, by the by the late nineties, we were almost entirely focused on big deals and okay. had. Left, left the venture business. Gotcha. Okay. And and why is that? At that point, why did you uh, leave the venture business? At that point, because I well, we look as our funds were so big, we were running thirty billion dollars. <laughs> you can't do no two million dollar investments. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, and at that and when when did uh, Apex? When did that kind of come out of this? What what year was that? that? Apex is Alan Petrokoff Associates International. Okay. Uh, at the expert national 
and that was a name change. In uh, uh, we changed in Europe in like '89, and we changed in the early '90s in uh, the United States. Okay, and and how was the transition going from venture, more like true venture, to private equity? I mean, one's a lot more. You know, gut, it seems like a little more gut-driven. The other one's a little more uh, cash flow-driven, strategy-driven. Um, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, how was that? How was that? I mean, how was that transition? And uh, did one help with the other? Like starting out in venture, did that help kind of private equity later? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, some of the same skills, but uh, you know, different kind of valuations. You're dealing much more with cash flow and financial structure than you are. Uh, we're dealing with new concepts uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that have to do with what the potential is in the future, not necessarily what's there today. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. And what's one of those uh, larger deals that went uh, either well or went Quite or it didn't go quite well, and I'm I'm curious to see hear more details. What where in, in which in, yeah. in private equity or private, venture? Venture we have plenty of failures. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Let's go private equity. Do you have a yeah. anything? Yeah, uh, I you know I I really uh, can't cite any. I'm not that we they didn't have them, but you know in the private equity business you can't have afford too many big losses. Yeah. Uh, uh, we had, uh, I think we had a company called Hit Entertainment that we lost money on. That just comes to name. We had a, an educational company. I don't remember the name of, but our uh, the last deals that were involved, I was involved with while I was still there was we bought uh, Calvin Klein for on behalf of Phillips Van Usen and merged into there, and then we uh, and invested through Phillips Van Usen, which is public, and then we invested in. Uh, uh, that was that. That bought Calvin Klein. Then we separately bought, invested in Tommy Hilfiger, right at the very end. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's that's what I remember. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And uh, you know, what can can you walk us through one of those acquisitions? Like, I'm I'm curious to see how you th- were th- you're thinking at that time and now with private equity. Then we'll get into venture capital here after this. But you know, when you're looking at one of those deals. Um, you know, whether it's a um, Calvin Klein or a different one, you know, you're looking at the cash flow, you're looking at the team. You know, how, how do you how do you put it all together? Yeah, how do you how do you commit? That's <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, we're looking at cash flow. You're looking at management. You know, I mean, it's a uh, it's much more of a you know a uh, I mean, you you you're you're investing in an advanced business in the case of. Tommy Hilfiger, they had had problems in the United States, but were very successful in Europe. So it was a question of restructuring and figuring out how to uh, make this into a more viable company as a private company. And, and by the way, it worked out very, very well. Huh. Interesting. Oh, all right. So, yeah, yeah I remember that when the Tommy Hilfiger kind of came on strong um, back in the day. Interesting. And it's very, very successful now. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Okay, so in uh, was it two thousand six? Is it when you uh, founded Gray Croft? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I between two thousand two and two thousand six, I worked a lot in the international world, helping helping out the World Bank, 
with some of their issues in small and medium-sized enterprises and trying to develop some entrepreneurial uh, strategies, particularly for Africa and uh, Asia. And uh, uh, in 2006, I got bored of doing that. And yeah. I wasn't going to go out to pasture, so I got the idea of why don't I start again a venture firm, but, but designed from the first day to only do forever, as long as I'm involved, only venture deals. Hmm. And uh, that's what I did. And it's uh, uh, we've been 11 years now, it seems like yesterday, and uh, uh, we are still just doing uh, only venture deals, which is limiting the size. And it affects our whole thinking as to how we, uh, how we, uh, you know, how we invest, how we pricing and everything else. And, uh, and so why did you go back to the, the venture world? Did you miss it? Or did you enjoy that part more? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And what, 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 what do you enjoy more about it compared to traditional private equity? Well, you get much more involved, uh, with the companies, the entrepreneurs, you, they, you take much more greater sense of identification. You can see how easily I remember our investment in Apple Computer, our investment in Office Depot, our investment in AOL, our investment in, in uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of Sunglass Hut. Um, uh, you know, those things I was very intimately involved with. And, you know, when you're doing later stage deals, they're really financial manipulation. Interesting. Okay, and with with some of those earlier companies, how did you get involved with like or Apple, AOL? Is it more that you're on the board, or at least a board observer, and just being a part of? Kind uh, of the, yeah. No, no. I was uh, uh, I was not on the board or an observer in Apple. Uh, I was someone in the firm was in Office Depot. I was okay. personally in AOL. Wow. Uh, just. To, who was who was covering it? Gotcha. Okay, and that that's how you get. Yeah, it's it's much more of a personal kind of connection and relationship. Yeah, with the the team probably. Yeah. Than, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Much much more. Okay. And uh, it was a uh, you know it's a very exciting venture business. A very exciting business. It is, and and so every day every day you come to work. I mean, today I had I ran this sports lunch. We had twenty early stage companies in the sport world and sports technology and everyone is more exciting than the other. <laughs> well, that's another, that's a whole podcast right there is seeing what those companies are doing. Um, <laughs> that'd be interesting. And, uh, all right. So you start out in the venture business, went to private equity, went back to, to venture, like how going back to venture, um, were you a lot smarter after being in private equity? Did that help at all? Saying like, Oh, these are the type of, uh, um, you know, these are how large firms operate. This is how they plan strategy, acquire firms. Did that help at all? <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say I, I learned more from what mistakes I made in the venture business. Okay. And, uh, you know, I learned certain things that I thought were uh, would set us up in a more, you know, uh, not to be like everybody else. I mean, we have a certain strategy, which we implement uh, 100%, which is, you know, we all never make an investment without a partner. We uh, don't care about being board seats. We give up boards to anyone, any 
co-venture with us. We, but we always have an observancy. We have no minimum dollar investment, no minimum percentage ownership. Uh, and those things resonate very much with other venture firms as partners and with, and with entrepreneurs. They, they love it because we're the only person they've met who doesn't want to put a minimum of so much money in and own 20% of the company. We're the only one that doesn't want one or two board seats. And they are, uh, it makes it, it, it works very well in terms of, uh, setting, uh, uh, you know, to be, you know, very, very much, you know, uh, you know, it, it builds our relationship with yeah, both yeah. sides. You're, little, you're startup friendly in some ways, or at least, yeah. Um, and, and so you mentioned that, you know, you made some of the mistakes in the past is, um, are there any other mistakes that you, uh, you, uh, do not repeat now that you'd made in uh, your past that you can, sh- that you can remember off the top of your head. No, uh, uh, no, there are, uh, not, uh, I, I can't, you know, yeah, yeah. remember. <laughs> I mean, the mistakes of the past are, you know, when you meet new entrepreneurs, you want to pick people perhaps better from what you've learned doesn't work. You want to find people who know how to tell their stories succinctly. You want to people, we, we find a great predictor of success is companies that have, uh, CEOs that have done it before, start a new business in a related area and attract other people from their previous activity. That's a good predictor. Uh, we want people who understand the economics of their business and what it takes to make a profit and not just, and know what their address market size is, not uh, it, it's uh, commonly referred to as TAM, the total address market size. And you know, you mentioned the the, the team. So, I mean, do you how soon do you usually get a sense that this team has what it takes? Is it a gut feeling when you when they start talking and within fifteen minutes, or is it a lot of due diligence? Um, no, we don't. Do, it's only have to do with due diligence. It only has to do with due diligence. Okay. You know, we don't just you know. Very, very rarely, I can think of one time when I made a gut reaction, and then and then made the due diligence after the fact. <laughs> I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very focused on doing uh, due diligence. Okay. I don't. I, I believe very strongly in you know doing your homework. And what? And can you describe some of that homework? I'm kind of curious what your investment process is. You know, before you actually make an investment. We do primarily reference checks, okay, and then and also testing uh, out what the economics are of the business to, to satisfy ourselves that the business has the potential to be profitable. Because all our stuff, companies start out uh, uh, start out much, you know, at a much earlier stage, and you have to really be convinced of the market size. And uh, what the you know if they can put this team together, and if they can, if they how much capital they're going to need. We don't like uh, capital intensive businesses. Our focus is uh, entirely on the internet and on, on internet and mobile delivered products and services. That's all we do. We don't do healthcare. We don't, we don't do biotech, uh, uh, medical devices. We don't we don't do our chains of restaurants, but we would do a restaurant concept that is distributed through the internet. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Interesting. And, uh, 
um, what's and you probably I know you've invested in a lot of companies at uh, Graycroft. How many, how many companies have you invested in now? Do you know? 140 companies. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so I was curious if there's a one. Uh, one or two that you're especially interested in now. I mean, I know you, they're all kind of your babies, but um, you know, if there's one that you're especially uh, keen on. No, I'm. I, I, I personally, I mean, beginning my firm, yeah, which is very involved in a lot of food distribution companies, whether it's and mostly online online food distribution okay. companies like Drive Markets and yep. Box, uh, which are new ways of selling foods uh, economic, uh, at, at appropriate discounts and efficiently uh, delivered. Uh, but I, I've done several media deals. I did a newsletter called The, the Skim, which is probably one of the hottest uh, newsletters in the country today for uh, millennial women. I recently invested in Ariana Huffington's new company, Thrive Global, which is about living well. And before that, we had been an investor in her company, uh, the uh, uh, website uh, Huffington Post. Wow. Uh, and we uh, uh, are now uh, also just made an investment in the three top people from Politico who started a newsletter company with about six or seven newsletters called Axios. Uh, so those are the recent things I personally have done, and I'm excited about all of them. I think the most exciting I am of all of that is a little company in Africa, which is dealing with payments between African companies run by an American woman, young American woman who moved to Senegal to set up this payments company uh, using Bitcoins as an intermediary. So uh, you might say I've, you know, had lots of uh, broad interest, but most of my interest is in the media area. Gotcha. Yeah, those are it was just some uh, impressive investments <laughs> um, that you made, uh, and and so how how do you find new deals like that? Um, do you, are you? Uh, I mean, a lot of they, people come find, no, they, come, they come to you. Okay, they, they find us, but we also remember our, our entrepreneurs send it to us. Our our uh, uh, other venture firms send it to us. Uh, you know, we we get things from everybody. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, and we're getting pretty near the the end of this podcast, unfortunately. Like I said, we could I could ask you lots of questions, but what one thing that a couple more questions. One is, uh, you know, I'm always curious how people. I mean, you you've done quite well in your career, but you probably not every day. You probably haven't felt like felt like a rock star. Uh, I'm always curious. You know, how have you kind of dealt dealt the ups and downs? You know, if the things didn't work out, you know, how do you uh? get back on the saddle and just keep, keep plowing ahead that you've done for uh, many years. You shouldn't be in the venture business unless you have an optimistic point of view and uh, have a, or a point of view, I should say. And, you know, and, and otherwise you can't get up every day and come in, but you know, there's an excitement <laughs> of business that every day the elevator door is going to open and the next Steve jobs is going to come out. doesn't happen. It doesn't happen every day or every month or every year, but, you keep hoping it's going to happen. Uh, and uh, so I, uh, you know, I, I, I get excited every day to, you know, see, see what's going to happen the next day, like today. I like it. That's a good attitude. All right. And, uh, and with a uh, gray where do you want to take it? Do you want to continue to uh, 
invest. We're going to keep with the same strategy we've had. Nice. Okay. Well, same sounds, strategy. Sounds like it's going well. Um, yeah. We're not going to change. Not going to do that. We're going to keep our size limited. We're not going to become a private equity firm. We've made that decision. Gotcha. And you guys do. You'll do follow-on rounds right up to. Yes. That's so. Okay. We formed, we formed a growth fund just for that purpose. Okay. All right. And and th- but that's only in your existing portfolio companies. No, we do others too, do but others. primarily okay. we do about sixty percent come from our existing companies. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right. All right. All right. Well, uh, Alan, definitely appreciate this, and uh, it's been great chatting with you. And uh, you have a a wealth of knowledge, so thanks for sharing some of it with us uh, today. Great. Thank you for inviting me. Definitely, and. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Flower Labs. As always, I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Alan. Goodbye. Goodbye.